Leonard Lessig, in the history of the Internet, in the context of all of human history, where are we, do you think? So we're just at the moment where people realize that culture is not something that has to be fed to them. Like the Soviet citizens at the end of the Soviet Empire, where they realize that there's a possibility that they can participate in the construction and sharing of culture. Technology has given us that opportunity, and the problem right now is that the law takes it away. And so Creative Commons' objective is to find a way to get the law out of the way so that this extraordinary potential for human creativity can be realized in the context of this technology. I like the way you put it tonight, that the Creative Commons is really just trying to simulate the way all human creativity has happened. A lot of it is by adoption or by adaptation or stealing or borrowing or as we say, you know, Shakespeare stole half of his material. All American jazz players have stolen half to begin with. All of painting begins by co-opting the tradition, etc. Um, but where are we in that, in that learning process? Or, or teaching the law process to let it happen? Well, what people don't realize is that the law has actually become much more restrictive in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, uh, the law was, would not have imposed itself so strongly upon this tradition of rebuilding that culture is made of. Negative Land makes the wonderful point that the whole genre of folk music would not have been possible under the current regime of copyright. Uh, and Public Enemy, which was born as a, a group that sampled to produce its content, is now forbidden by its manager to sample from its content because the manager spends his whole time dealing with clearance of rights created because here's a famous group sampling other people's music. So the problem is that the, the incentives for every particular group have been to, to maximize their control over but has the environmental consequence, as Jamie Boyle puts it, of weakening the opportunity for creativity generally. So what we want to do is make it easy for people to recognize the free culture that's out there for them to build upon, so that they'll build upon that culture. And if there are groups out there that want nobody to build on their stuff, then let them so say. But people who signal that they want people to be able to build on their content, I believe, will produce greater content and more content will build on, be built on top of them, and that will be the beginning of a free culture movement, just like Richard Stallman gave birth to the free software movement. Some people call Creative Commons the open source movement in the realm of art. Is that a fair bumper sticker? Well, I think it's fair to say we're the free software movement for culture. Um, there's an important difference between the free software movement and the open source software movement, and that is the free software movement's first goal is freedom. It's not promising better software. It's not promising a better business model. It's promising freedom. And I think that's what free culture movement's about. The free culture movement is about guaranteeing people the freedom to build and cultivate their culture. Now it might be that in view of some people it's not as great as what Hollywood produces. I can't believe that, but some people would say that. But I don't care if it's not as good as what Hollywood produces. What I care about is that we have a technology now that an extraordinarily wide range of people can participate in the act of making and sharing culture. And we ought to enable that. And that's what uh, Creative Commons will do when it uh, uh, when it makes it possible for people to easily say, here's the way in which you can use and build upon my creativity.
Larry Lizzie, I want to hear you out on the growth of blogging just in the year 2003 and what this means. Are you tracking this as a significant piece of free culture? I think it's one of the most important examples of free culture. You know, free culture is about the transformation between a broadcast culture and a procreative culture. Broadcast culture where a few speak to the many and a procreative culture where the many speak to the many. And, you know, that's what the internet is supposed to have been about forever, but blogging is the first time that it happens in the context of political ideas that get translated and expanded upon as other people comment about it. Now the leaders in this movement of all, are of all sorts, all sorts and of all sorts of traditions, um, have all sorts of interests, but um, in my view, you know, people like Dave Weiner have signaled the values of this movement that I think are absolutely right and important. They're fundamentally about creating through many facets on the truth and objectivity to the truth. Creating through no conflict of interest and opportunity for people to speak truly about what's important. Creating through uh, a, a temporality that doesn't require that you worry about whether the story is ripe or continues to be current, but instead you worry about whether the story is true an actual connection to the truth about the story. I think this is the opportunity for a new kind of journalism, as Dave says, and I think that's exactly what we should be understanding it to be. Now, in the context of political campaigns, what happens is that people get engaged in the act of writing about a candidate and criticizing a candidate, but in the act of writing and criticizing, they become better citizens, more engaged citizens. Um, and this is the first time that we've had something like this happen in the last... 150 years because there's been no new technology in the last 150 years that has produced more engaged citizens. What we've had in the last 150 years is technologies to produce less engaged citizens. You know, people who don't have to go out and organize local polling districts but instead can sit at home and watch television about who they should vote for. So I think it's an extremely important change. Now, whether it's Dean who capitalizes on this change or some other candidate is not important to me. What's important is there will be a change that comes from the fact that people participate in the construction of the political story around them. And, uh, and that, in my view, will be the most important political uh, event in the last hundred years. Uh, how, will we, how will we recognize it? Well, you know, those of us who are hopeful about the current campaign think we've already seen it. You know, six months ago, or eight months ago, the word Dean was the name of a person who had no shot in hell of becoming the candidate. You know, here we are at a point where we can't imagine how anybody else could become the candidate. And where Al Gore, the quintessential establishment candidate, has come out and endorsed Dean. Why? Because Dean has invigorated a grassroots movement. Now, how did he do that? Well, he didn't do that by... Uh, you know, traditional mechanisms of the unions or anything like that. He did that by ideas that got ramified through structures like the blog, where people talked about and organized around a set of passions and ideas um, uh, and raised money around the very same passions and ideas. That's an extraordinary change. Now, you know, it's always... Nobody knows who Dean the candidate will be three months from now, and, and, and many people are skeptical about his ability to stay focused, and maybe he'll blow it. I don't know. Uh, the point is, a year ago, nobody would have predicted this was possible. Nobody would have imagined 
that an organization could be built from the grassroots up. And every single major democratic leader was heading on exactly the opposite as the future. Uh, and we've proven that they were wrong. Now, whether, they're, whether we're right about this candidate or the next candidate is not important. They were wrong about what makes the future possible. And uh, that's exciting. You know, I'm a pessimist by profession. That's my brand is pessimism. But my God, you know, what, have we what has happened here? Uh, I remember writing a blog entry just at the moment where Dean was about to announce that he had, he had raised more money than any other candidate. I remember writing... You know, nobody believed that this was possible, and we have to remember why this was possible. It was only possible because of the Internet. That's what made this happen. And uh, that will be how this campaign is remembered. It's the Internet that, you know, maybe lost against the establishment politicians, or the Internet that won against the establishment politicians, but it is the Internet to engage political action that will be the most important moving part in this election. I agree with you entirely. I mean, I think it's very hard for establishment organs, the networks or the New York Times to acknowledge, but the Dean campaign is preeminently, if not exclusively, about the Internet, more than almost than Howard Dean. It's about the ability of a viral sort of citizenship to take charge of itself and grow, finance itself, educate itself. And my own guess is that we're just, this is just the beginning, as you say about the Creative Commons. What would your own guess be about the growth of this thing in 2004? I mean, to come from ex-governor of Vermont to the, you know, to the presumptive nominee before a, before a caucus, before a vote has been cast, is one huge leap. What's, what's the next one? Or is there a wall out there, that, you know, the McGovern wall, the Goldwater wall, or the, you know, of course the establishment's going to crush the people kind of wall. The wall is, a, is $195 million that the President of the United States will have to wage his campaign. And the issue will be whether Dean is able to characterize this for what it is, the extraordinary corruption of our political system. The idea that uh, money decides who gets to be the President of the United States is outrageous to anybody who believes in democracy, yet this is the way our system has become. Now. You know, what I'm most hopeful about with the Dean campaign is that even if they only raise $50 million, I mean, they've already raised $25 million, but let's say they only raise $50 million, they're going to be able to go up before the president and say, okay, I've raised $50 million at $10 a head or $12 a head. And what have you done? You've raised, 50, you've raised $195 million with the maximum contribution from everybody and from political action committees that give you all sorts of additional money. Um, so we can really frame what's happened to politics in America, which is totally the corruption of our system by money. Now, I'm a capitalist as much as anybody. I'm not against capitalism. But the idea that our government is controlled by those who have money is outrageous. It, it, is, it is totally corrupt from the very premise of what democracy is supposed to be about. So, so at least having the opportunity for someone to achieve... A stature on the basis not of connection to the most powerful or most wealthy, but broad base of Americans, I think will be an extraordinarily powerful message. And success will be measured by the extent to which you can translate that message into the story that we have to reclaim 
American politics from the Enrons of our society. I mean, this is the part that's so outrageous to me that, you know, we arrest... Here in California, we send people to jail for their whole life because three times in a row they've stolen a CD from Tower Records. Three strikes and you're out. Candidates like, you know, people who work for Enron, uh, who, you know, steal hundreds of millions of dollars in market capitalization from pensioners, those people don't get any punishment you know, equivalent to what the punishment we inflict on the people at the very bottom who are scraping, you know, stealing ten, fifteen, a hundred dollars, thousand dollars. This is an outrageous reality, you know, and someday somebody's going to look, we're going to, you know, our children, our grandchildren will look back on us and say, who were we that we allowed this to be the way the world was? That these extraordinarily powerful people, um, uh, you know, get nothing as a punishment and the people at the bottom get, you know, basically purgatory as the punishment. Uh, Larry Lessig, you are famous as a pessimist and for believing that between the interests and the coding that the internet was going to be fixed against the public interest. To what degree does the whole blogging explosion kind of make you rethink the real possibilities of a kind of people's free medium? Well, you know, I'm, I'm a pessimist who wants to be proven wrong. You know, so my prediction is that these forces of balance will not overcome these forces of darkness. But do I want to be proven wrong in this? Absolutely. You know, I'm just wondering to, to what degree has the past year in the, in the blogging surge kind of uh, made you wonder. Maybe this is, this is what you had in mind, the hopeful side had in mind all along. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. In my first book, I should have imagined, I sort of said, well, what could it be that could save us from this? I didn't imagine blogs. I hadn't met David Weiner. Uh, but maybe that's it. Maybe that's what it will be. And, um, and you're right. You know, in addition to having a child, watching blogs in the last year has been the most enjoyable part of what's happened in the last year. But, uh, uh, and I'm not committed. You know, let's, let's see that these blogs win. Um, it's significant. Uh, Dean Campaign's website is Blog for America. And in an extraordinarily important way, I think that is profoundly true. It is all about engaging in political discourse for America. Not for Dean, it's for America. Because our pathology is that we have become such passive political creatures that we respond to these broadcast manipulations in a way that's totally predictable and this is the first unpredictable event in the political horizon in the last 50 years uh, and I think that's a hopeful sign. I agree with you and I also think that open thread in the Dean campaign, the New York Times referred to it as blather the other day, I find it one of the most interesting sort of little blood samples of this, this society, the society we like to believe in that I could imagine. I mean, it's full of energy, it's full of geography of the whole country, but energy of the whole country. I find it an enormously interesting space. Yeah. And if the Dean, so the thing the Dean campaign has not done yet, and, and Dave has talked about this, and I think it's a good point, is try to push its blog outside of the Dean campaign. So if the Dean campaign said, everyone in Iowa should have a blog, 
we'll open up a blog for everyone in Iowa. You can support whoever you want, but we'll open a blog for you. Here's the blog of Iowa citizens, or New Hampshire citizens, or South Carolina citizens, where people use the space to talk about politics. Uh, that would be the generalization of the point that would make it really significant. And, you know, Joe Trippi, I think, is brilliant, and I have all the respect in the world for him for what he's done so far. It's a hard question, I think, as people like Dave say, but he'll take the next logical step, which is to blog for America. Which would be what, practically speaking? I mean, the Clark campaign has very nearly offered everybody their own blog space if they want it. What should the Dean campaign do? Well, I think the difference is the Dean campaign is delivered on blog space. So the Dean campaign should deliver the same thing, uh, but they have the infrastructure to build it. Um, and I think they should push that. Uh, exactly what does that mean? Well, that means that any citizen who registers in the state of Iowa or in the state of New Hampshire has a space that's, that's connected within the other blogs of New Hampshire or Iowa to talk about political issues. Um, uh, and they can fund that or they can uh, push others to fund it, but the, the organizing principle should be we should have a public discourse about who the candidate should be. It should be something more than just your caucus that gets together and uh, votes on who the candidate should be on 30 days from now or whenever it's going to be. But everybody in range of the Dean blog can have their own space, stand on their own two feet, and sound off in their own voice. Right. And what they quickly learn is their contribution is totally a function of who else they link to and who links to them. So automatically there's a logic in the process which requires building a community. And building a community is the logic of democracy, where your objective is not to register your personal preferences about whatever. Your, your objective is to build a consensus among a group of people about what the right answer to a particular question is. And I think blog space helps you do that. It's not, you know, it's, it's not ideal. It's not, we have a lot of norms we have to develop for the space. There's a lot of very bad behavior there. But, but at least it's, it's 10,000 times better than the kind of couch potato politics which defines where we've been until 2004. Well, uh, Happy New Year, Larry. Uh, congratulations on the first year of Creative Commons, and uh, let's keep pushing. Yes, keep pushing, and thanks for your help. It's a pleasure. Larry Lessig, thank you.